Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Truth About Trucking, live, hosted by Alan Smith, a 30-year OTR veteran, business entrepreneur, and motor carrier transportation consultant, specializing in assisting students and new drivers, and pushing forward to raise the standards of the trucking industry. And now, live from beautiful Citrus County, Florida, here's your host, Alan Smith. Hello again, Truth About Trucking Live. It's Sunday, March 22nd, 2009. I'm Alan Smith. Appreciate you joining us this afternoon. Our call-in number is 347-826-9170. If you'd like to have if you have a question or comment you'd like to share online with us, and along with me is my co-host and executive producer Barry Stutsky. And how you doing, Barry? I'm I'm doing excellent today, Alan. How's things uh, going with you? Uh, I can't complain. Nice and sunny outside. We had a little cold front come in, so it's down to 72. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we had a well. Global warming finally came to Florida. I am happy about that. <laughs> well, we're we're going to be getting into a little environmental situation here today with this biofuels and all this good stuff, huh? Yeah, we are. I, I, uh, I'm having a little difficulty with the phone here. Hold on one second. We're going to go. Can you hear me now, Alan? Uh, yeah, that's like that's like Verizon. Can you hear me now? Yeah, I can hear you good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we we've been having a lot of trouble with our phones, man. I tell you, I'm about ready to just throw them out the out the door. But just put that thing on the uh, charger and watch the battery. I guess, huh? Yeah, yeah, well, sometimes they're like that, you know, they don't get plugged in. But, uh, you know, here's the thing. We really need to have some form of energy that doesn't involve uh, importing it from Saudi Arabia. And solar panels, are, you know, they're just not going to push a big truck over the Rockies anytime soon. You know, we need energy-dense fuel to push a truck down the road. And, uh, you know, I think the best alternative is biofuels. Well, I like the, that's why we have a, an expert online with us today. So, because I'm, I'm certainly no expert in all this, and and uh, we've got a really special guest today, don't we? Especially for you. Yeah, well, in an effort to, uh, for full disclosure, uh, I got to admit I've known this guy for 53 years, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> my earliest memories of him would be when. Uh, he was probably in second or third grade, and he had a chemistry set that he got for Christmas. And I was out playing, and I walked back in the house, and he said, put your finger right here on the table. You know, he was bigger than me and older than me, and I had to listen, you know. So I touched my finger to the table, and he immediately pulled out a bottle of fingerprint powder and fingerprinted me, you know, in a little <laughs> brush. So, But he's always had an interest in chemistry. But, yeah, I know this fellow for a while. Uh, his name's Chet Stutsky. And uh, he's going to speak about a variety of topics. You know, one of them, it's one of the more intriguing possibilities as far as biofuels is methane because it can be made from uh, human sludge and uh, landfills. And if you've ever been by a, a, a landfill and saw a torch at night, you know, that's what they're burning. They're burning the methane. So it has some real possibilities. And Chet received his Bachelor of Science degree in chemistry from Ryder University 
and works professionally in the area of environmental chemistry and pollution control for both industrial and municipal applications. He has presented works on biosolids processing and enhancement of methane production at Water Environment Federation conferences around the country, including the national WEFTEC conference. Having recently returned from China and with decades of hands-on experience, Chet will be providing his expertise and opinion about the future of biofuels. And he also happens to be my brother, so this is like this is pr- pretty cool to hook up with him today. Hey, Chet, are you out there? Uh, hey, yeah, Barry, I'm I'm right here. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you fine. Uh, I hope your head didn't swell up too much with that introduction, but uh, you, you earned it, you know. Well, thank you very much. I, I hope I can live up to that uh, uh, that uh, reputation, or at least a, a, a part of it. Even I, I tell you, that's a, a great introduction. I, I appreciate that. And, and Alan, thank you for for having me as your your special guest. Uh, oh well, it's uh, the, the honor's all mine, and I think. I think the intro is uh, not really doing you any justice, from what um, Barry's told me, and I, I think your um, uh, your credentials are could be highly mentioned here if you wanted to. I mean, I know you uh, you do a lot. You've out there, like Barry said, you've been out there hands on in this thing, and and everybody has the opinion. But I mean, you have the background and the education and the knowledge. So uh, believe me, it's all my it's, it's my honor to have you on the show. I appreciate you being here. Thank you. Thank you very much, Alan. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, biofuels are a thing that are really near and dear to my heart. Uh, and my, uh, currently work with, like I said, environmental uh, and pollution control. And I do a lot of work with municipal uh, wastewater treatment plants where they have um, oftentimes, uh, as they get more and more uh, advanced with their treatment, they'll have uh, what they call digesters for the sludge which is the final product that they pull out of the water before uh, sanitizing it and releasing it to the river or the local uh, water table. Um, so the, the sludge uh, goes into these digesters, and what the, the natural bacteria that are present uh, actually turn this sludge, and they will digest it uh, in the absence of oxygen uh, and generate methane, and that's, their, that's their, what they excrete. Now, these they are called methanogens. Okay, for generating methane, methane, methane generators, methanogens, and uh, they uh, they uh, they work best. Certain types are preferential to other types. It's all a lot of really uh, in, intense biology, but the, there are ways to optimize the generation of this methane. Now, uh, prior to, prior, to, can you still hear me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Okay, I'm sorry. Well, uh, prior to prior to uh, the recent uh, uh, surge in interest in biofuels, and uh, interestingly enough, one of the first biofuels uh, was generated by the Nazi Germ- uh, Nazi Germany back in the World War II. Uh, they uh, developed a process for uh, turning uh, cellulose into uh, alcohol, uh, and uh, just involved soaking wood or whatever type of grass they had, switchgrass, uh, in in dilute sulfuric acid, which uh, eventually turn it into glucose, and then they ferment that into ethanol. And that's one of the processes that they're looking again today, which is why uh, former President Bush was talking about switchgrass as an energy source. That would be the process they'd use, same process that was there 50 or you know, 60 years ago. Uh, so it's not oh. a new... Yeah, it's, 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 there's a lot of uh, uh, technology that's already been developed in this field that is applicable and the main driver, of course, is going to be the economics. 
now it's becoming economical for the uh, wastewater treatment plants to use this methane instead of just burning it off, which you drive by a treatment plant at night. If you ever know that you're going by one, you see these big flares. That's all energy. They do that because uh -huh. the pure, it's got some contaminants in it like hydrogen sulfide, which are corrosive to metal. But once they clean the gas up, they can use it for cogen. And or they, uh, in Texas, uh, there's one plant that's uh, even building, uh, has a third party that's building a plant where they're going to take that gas and, and sell it to the public as, as uh, heating gas. Um, so, I mean, uh, this is uh, an up-and-coming thing. There's quite a few plants around the country now that have cogeneration facilities where they uh, take their methane off of their digesters and they use it to generate energy, and some of them are actually self-sufficient on the energy that they de generate. Uh, so this is, you know, they're, they're taking a former waste product, and it's the old adage, one man's trash is another man's treasure, and, and they're taking it that they used to burn off, and now they're, they're making money with it. Um, okay, so, so this, this is just still in the works? I mean, it's, it's not really in place yet then? It's not widespread because of the, uh, the, the fact that you, you need to clean up the gas, so that's a step that involves capital, uh, and, it, and for and nowadays, for anybody to put any new equipment in, they've got to justify it cost-wise. Of course, with the new administration giving incentives to, to green technology and, and, and biofuels and getting all, trying to reduce or even eliminate our dependency on, on uh, fossil fuels, uh, there, there's going to be a lot more incentive, and you'll see a lot more action. I mean, there's, there's, it's, it's going to hit a point right now where there's going to be a lot of activity in that area. Uh, in, in treatment plants where they go use their gas, also in uh, different areas of generating biofuels. Like I said, the cellulosics or, or any kind of cellulose like uh, corn stover, um, switchgrass, rice, rice stalks in California. Uh, California rice growers, year before, used to burn their rice stalks after they harvested the rice, but that generates uh, a tiny fibers that are almost like asbestos, so they're not allowed to do that anymore. They're looking for a place to get rid of those stalks. Um, and if they could be turned into energy, which, you know, chances are it could with these processes, I mean, that's they're going to, again, turn another trash heap into, into treasure. Um, and there's, there's all, that's where you're going to see the, the activity, where you have large uh, a mass, large quantities of un unutilized or underutilized uh, Raw materials, um, and uh, that's that, those are areas where you're going to see uh, a lot of research. And I, I guess in the, uh, you know, it, it's going to be kind of a horse race. Yeah, yeah. And, I hadn't even heard about the rice stalks. <laughs> yeah, that's a big thing in California. If you talk to any of the rice farmers, they're really hoping that all this alternative biomass, uh, biofuel uh, focus, uh, you know, really gets gets heated up for them because they. They lose a lot of money on that. Isn't there a specific, I, I don't want to use the wrong term here, but when it comes to cellulose, is there yeah. a specific enzyme or, or what do you call it that, that they're working on? Uh, coming yeah, up that, with one that, it's an enzyme I used to use by, in quantities of back in the day when I was working in research for uh, the USDA had a patent on uh, uh, converting a wheat straw uh, into edible fodder for cattle. But the problem with wheat straws had a lot of lignin on the outside of the, like that's a biological plastic, so the cattle couldn't digest it. So we were developing treatments, and the way we assessed how good our treatment was is we used a cellulase enzyme. So to get back to the point, 
there's uh, cellulase, which is anything that ACE means just it's an enzyme and it degrades cellulose. And then there's hemicellulase, and uh, uh, that is also part of what degrades uh, fiber that's in either wood or straw or any of those things. So yeah, there are enzymes, and those are another ways to get that degrades the enzyme into either uh, some type of a sugar that's either digested into uh, fuel, ethanol, or uh, some other type of a, a chemical that uh, can be used as a fuel. Oh, okay, yeah. I, I know they were working on uh, patenting up in Canada, <clears throat> outside Toronto someplace. They were working, they had patented some sort of an enzyme. I did hit on the right word. I remember reading about it. And uh, they were going to uh, feed wood chips in there from the uh, timber industry up there and the bark and, and you know, leave whatever, uh, you know, organics that they couldn't use otherwise. But they were talking about this enzyme that could actually accomplish that, could break it, could break the cellulose down, and uh, they could end up with ethanol. Yeah, yeah, that, that, that's exactly it. Many, and the, like I said, anywhere you, where you've got a great quantities of unused byproduct like that, that's where you're going to see this technology. But, yeah, enzymes are another route. Uh, they're a little bit trickier uh, than the chemical route. I mean, enzymes are very sensitive. They operate in a narrow pH range, so you can kill them real easy. So you have to have a well-controlled process to use these enzymes, and I'm very familiar with those, too, from working back in the, my days in the paper industry. They uh, used to use those for um, you know, digesting wood pulp. Oh, okay. That would be the substance that smells so bad when you get near a paper mill, I guess. Uh, yeah, and that's when they're using chemicals. They use sulfur-based, uh, uh, what they call uh, uh, green liquor or black liquor that they use. That they heat it up, and it's basically just caustic with sulfur, sodium, sulf, uh, sodium, sulfur, and hydrogen. And they heat the heat that up, and that that dissolves this plastic, this lignin that encases the cellulose, and that's how you get the nice white piece of paper. Otherwise, you oh. get Otherwise, you'd get cardboard. Cardboard is paper without the, with the lignin in it. Oh. And that's the brown stuff. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, I've been around the paper mills enough. All I know is that it stinks. Yeah, yeah, they do. Uh, <laughs> they've gotten a lot better, but they stu still do. They still can well, uh, send up well, a pretty thing. Well, all this, um, I mean... And it's, it, all you're saying, just it still sounds like it's a long way away. I mean, is it? I mean, is, is our technology there, or is this anything anytime soon? Or I mean, I know there's regulations and policies, and but uh, I mean, yeah. what do you see like in the future? I mean, is it anytime soon, or is it way, way down the road? Well, no, I think it's going to be sometime soon. And I guess my, my reference to the uh, the World War II uh, Germany uh, process is that. Yeah, we really do have the technology now. It's just a matter of putting something in place that's going to generate enough fuel to make a difference, and that's a lot of fuel. So, I mean, it's got to be—it's going to have to be a commitment where they have to source, get a guaranteed raw material. So, it's going to either have to be something—if it's in the cellulose area—it's going to be have to be something like setting up a big plant in Iowa with processing corn stover. Um, the corn to ethanol is actually a, a net negative sometimes, uh, where you take actual corn and, and uh, uh, heat it up, and uh, uh, they do what they call a mash, and then they convert that, they ferment that into ethanol. By the time they get done with the energy of harvesting and then what they have to do to process it, uh, you're looking at maybe a 5% gain sometimes. It's not really going to eliminate fossil fuels. 
just an alternative fuel. Now, if you use the corn stalk, you just have to let it sit in this sulfuric acid to convert it to glucose. This is a dilute sulfuric, and then so that doesn't require a lot of energy. All you got to do is they'll collect it out of the fields. The farmers, a lot of time, are getting rid of that anyway. And uh, you know, and then they ferment the glucose, which doesn't take a lot of energy either. That's done by yeast. So, I guess what I'm saying is, there's the potential is there to get geared up real quick, but uh, it's going to be kind of the decision that has to be made on which way to go. So you're saying that they do have the technology or developing the technology that they would process the corn kernels in, in one process to get, you know, to, to uh, use the starch up and make ethanol, and then they could take the remainder of the plant and put it in sulfuric acid and throw the enzymes in there, and they could actually use the entire plant rather than just the kernels? Yeah, or they could sell the kernels for what corn was meant to be sold for, for food, and they could, and they could take the corn stalks and make fuel out of that. Um, and because the corn is, is is not a good payback for, I mean, uh, it hasn't proven itself to be the the energy cost to generate a gallon of ethanol from corn is greater than the energy cost from uh, other sources such as corn stover, switchgrass, and so on. Yeah, yeah what I, I heard. I don't. I don't. I don't remember the exact term or the exact amount, but it was like it took. Um, and probably you know, Chet, but it took like, uh, I don't remember how many acres of corn to develop one gallon of, of uh, ethanol. Yeah, and I don't have that number. It's uh, in my head yep. right now. It's, it was uh, like an acre or ten acres. I mean, it was just unbelievable, but I, I don't remember the exact amount. And that, that's what you're talking about then. Well, that and the amount of energy that it costs to process it, that, that's really the key. Um, you might be able to generate a lot of corn in a small acreage, but you still got the amount of gasoline that you have to use to harvest it, and then you have the oh, amount yeah. of gasoline that you have to use to cook it because it has to be cooked. Right. Uh, and that, that's where the, uh, the expenditure comes in for processing uh, versus... What, what? Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. There. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, uh, I, I, you know, wouldn't it have made more sense to use something like sugarcane or sugar beets? You know, and uh, also I do know about ethanol uh, that it can't be transported through pipelines because the pipelines get condensation in them, and it fouls the ethanol. So it's got to be uh, loaded onto trains in Iowa, and you know they got to go all the way to Miami or wherever they want the ethanol to go. So it would be probably a whole lot better to do it on a more localized basis and use the crops that are a whole lot better for that purpose. You know. Yeah, and I, I mean, there, there are some plants set up now. I was in uh, Fargo, North Dakota uh, two years ago, and they just set up a big uh, ethanol plant there. Uh, they had one that just started up uh, two years ago, and it employed a few hundred people. It was a big plant. So, I mean, of course, the middle of Fargo, North Dakota, is you stand on a box, and you can see all the way to Minnesota and uh, Wyoming. I mean, it's just so flat. You know, it's so it's nothing but cornfields and wheat fields out there. So you're going to have everything real local. And you don't have to pay a lot for transportation to get your raw materials to to the plant. So yeah, I just think that they went about it the wrong way. You know, corn just uh, the only thing in it that without that other technology you're talking about, the only thing in it, as far as I know, is a as a non-credentialed person, is that the only thing that's usable right now to turn into ethanol would be the starch. Is that correct? Yeah. 
Yeah, okay, so that that leaves the rest of it. They do take the leftover mash, by the way, and, and uh, dry it out and feed it to cattle, so they're not just heaving it. But Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, uh, it, it's a viable means of getting ethanol, but it's it's not going to be the one that solves our petroleum problems. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you. I, I, I tell you, I was pretty intrigued about what you were first talking about, uh, the methane, and I checked it out, and... I didn't know this, but it is possible to burn this in a diesel motor by mixing the methane in the air intake in a small metered amount. And uh, by doing that, there was a significant increase in horsepower, torque, and uh, fuel mileage. But they just shoot it in with the air that's going into the diesel motor. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's that's that, uh, that's one way. I, I hadn't heard of that, but that is that sounds like it's a viable way to go. I mean, is there any... Danger to the truck? Uh, how do they? How do they? Uh... Well, they put it in a tank, in a pressurized tank that uh, they could survive an impact. You know, it, it, you know. I guess to picture it, I mean, it doesn't have to be a massive amount because you're supplementing the diesel fuel. So whatever amount you have, the way the way the trucks over in Europe, they have done this. Uh, the trucks over in Europe, they just have however many gallon. Uh, it looks like a propane tank. And when the truck's at idle, it, it shuts off. So there's no methane going in. The, the engine's just running on straight diesel fuel. And then when the truck gets up to a little bit of speed, then the methane kicks in. And when it does, it uh, it uh, you, you could deal with the what these words all mean, but it acts as a catalyst. And uh-huh. uh, and then see what happens is when you inject the methane in, all the diesel fuel that's being injected is burned. Instead of the you know the usual residual that comes out the stack, it just com- makes for complete uh, complete combustion, you know. Right, right. So it, it doesn't have any corrosive properties associated with it. Uh, you know, like you said, you, they clean the sulfur out, so it's pure, and that makes the uh, engine last longer and reduces running costs. You know, so it's actually what I'm saying is when you shoot a little bit of methane and you get more mileage, you get more power, more torque, and reduced emissions. And your engine lasts longer, so it's kind of like a really. Uh, and what, what happens when the methane tank runs out? Nothing. It's just you're out of it, you know. So it isn't a situation where a driver couldn't continue on to California because he ran out of methane, you know. That's a that's a nice little system then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It su- supplements the diesel fuel, and get, and it's a way to use it where it's not your primary source, and you know, because uh, I mean, part of the problem with biofuels and, uh, and it's particularly ethanol, it's you know, most cars just aren't set up to burn anything more than uh, 15%. And, uh, you know, having something like that that supplements your existing system is just is a whole lot better. And, uh, I, you know, we all like more horsepower too, right? Yeah, oh, yeah. Well, hey, Barry, on that, uh, um, where did you say they were using that over in Europe? Yeah, I wanted one of the Scandinavian countries. Uh, have, you, have, you, have you seen anything on where they're looking into that over here? No, I didn't. I, de- I didn't. Uh, I'm sure they are. You know, I just was looking when uh, when Chad had mentioned that he was working with methane. I, I I did look it up, and it is doable. You know, and then you can put you can put methane, or you can just put straight natural gas in the tank. It, it, it's, uh, aren't they the same thing, Chad? Uh, methane and natural gas isn't that the same? Uh, 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 yeah, I mean, natural gas can be a, a number of uh, actually usually is is more propane than methane. Propane is a Methane has one carbon, propane has two. I mean, you know, it's very similar. Oh, okay. But yeah, well, I mean, that will be a mixture of, of all those, you know. You follow? Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. And then, Okay, hey, Chet, did, did you see the image that Barry 
made with the the semi with the uh, solar panels on top of it and the wind windmills on top. Did you see that? Yeah, yeah. I just thought it might have a hard time getting under a bridge, but uh, it's just... <laughs> yeah, they're going to. Have have to raise the bridges, but Barry, he makes all our graphics here and everything. He he wears a lot of hats over here, but yeah, uh, so so it's pretty safe to say that trucks aren't going to be outfitted like that, huh? Well, no, I mean if you were you know on a, on a uh, pretty much just some roads in in Wyoming and Idaho that uh, some pretty long hauls before you get to any bridges. I mean, <laughs> a couple of select people to have those trucks. You never know. Yeah, you can't never tell about the trucking business but yeah barry was talking earlier about the methane and everything so i was just wondering i hadn't seen anything about them doing like that over here but i didn't know they were using it over in europe already uh yeah yeah and like i said they're using methane uh they're trying to capture the methane value from our from our waste uh from our dumps our, our landfills and on our wastewater treatment plants so that's a big movement right now that's going to conserve energy in that we don't have to use fossil fuels to generate electricity and that's that's a, uh, that's a big area too that uh, you know is maybe under under viewed because it's not out in front of you at the gas pump every time you fill up your car but that's that's a definite uh you know source of uh energy uh, that's just being displaced definite uh, uh percentage of the fossil fuels whether it's coal or oil uh you know that we consume to generate power um, another, uh, if I could just go off on a tangent a little bit here, I, I'm just looking on the internet. I found there's a, a another uh, area of interest of mine called algae biodiesel, and uh, the first algae biodiesel plant is is going online April 1st uh, next week in uh, Rio Hondo, Texas. It's, they're going to generate 4.4 million gallons of algal oil per year off hmm. of a series of saltwater ponds that are spanning 1,100 acres. And they're going to try to re- use 20 of those acres to uh, for experimental production of a renewable JP8 jet fuel. So uh-huh. I mean, there's there's a lot of work going on in the area, a lot of different areas. This algae is the latest thing, and like I said, that it we have the technology to generate alternative fuels right now. I think that just the the throwing all the throwing all the irons in the air to see which one is the most efficient. And which one can be uh, done best? And it may be a regional thing, but I, I do see things happening within the next couple of years on a big scale. They have a uh, there's uh, there's all co- conferences um, that are happening now. One of them there was an Algae Biofuels World Summit in San Francisco this past March. Um, that's just on algae biofuels. I mean, it's a big topic everywhere you go. I had a question for you. My understanding of algae was that it had a, by the acre, I want to say 50 times more output than an acre of soybeans, and also there was a significant amount of uh, biomass left over. So I had two questions for you. That one, they do in fact squeeze oil that that can be made in the biodiesel out of uh, out of the algae, correct? Right, and this is a saltwater algae, so this is you know that thick, heavy kind. This, okay. Oh, yeah, the one I was just talking about. Yeah, they squeeze the oil, and then there's uh, this one that's uh, generating, to give you a reference, 4.4 million gallons of oil is also 110 million pounds of biomass, which is, you know, uh, available for this digestion process, although the, I don't know how much problem the salt is going to cause. But, uh, yeah, 
the answer to your question is yes, they have. So, so the, the leftover biomass potentially could be turned into ethanol, or if they use a uh, cellulose breaking down process, could be turned into methane? Yep, you know, any of those possibilities. Biomass is generally biomass, and it can be treated in, in the standard ways. But some, you know, uh, a sludge, sewer sludge does well in a, in a tank, sitting in, uh, in a tank for about a month, you know. And this kind of biomass, it would probably be pressed. I'm sure to be very dry. They generally press it in and to get squeeze the oils out and then separate the oil from any water. Uh, it's just going to like squeeze an olive oil out of olives, you know. So they could get two byproducts. One would be biodiesel to run the big trucks down the road, and uh, the other could be methane or alcohol. So it, yeah, yeah. I think thinking about algae. I mean, you can put ponds out in land that's. You know, you wouldn't be competing with agriculture. You can dig ponds out in the Sonoran Desert if you want to. Yeah, and this one, uh, this one in Rio Hondo is on the is on the Gulf, so it's, it's saltwater farm. Yeah, yeah. Well, they probably already figured it out how to how to uh, get this, you know, how to wash the salt out of it. They probably want to retain that anyway after man-made ponds, you know. Uh, yeah, no, the salt is, uh, you know, it's just. Uh, I'm just guessing these ponds are just fenced off areas that they that are extending out into a, a bay somewhere, <laughs> you know. Uh, yeah. They're capturing. They're just containing the algae, uh, which would necessarily be on top, right? Or, or or they'll you know, grow into the water. But some of these algae, a lot of them look like they're surface type algae. But anyway, it's, yeah, it could be any of those things. It, it, but they are generating. They have, like I said, they they now have a plant. Uh, in Texas, this is the first one. So there's oh, that's pretty in. cool. So they, yeah, they are working on it then, huh? Yeah, no, there's it's it's going to happen quicker than you think. Uh, that that would be my opinion. Now, how quick? I, I'd I'd still say it'd be a couple of years down the road before we get a significant movement in that area, and it's going to have to be decided. Then there's going to be some standardization issues. But as far as it comes, to, as far as diesel fuel. I mean, there's a lot of candidates out there. That it requires this algae oil and uh, 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 heating, uh, I'm sorry, uh, used uh, cooking oil, processing, those kind of things. you, you got to direct, you know, line right into the fuel tank of the truck. It just burns better than uh, diesel fuel sometimes. I know this biodiesel that you get from used cooking oil is a premium, is real premium fuel. It actually helps clean up the valves. From what I understand, they did a test in a, in a, a railroad diesel, and they had a railroad diesel that was you know, pretty old, running standard diesel fuel, and they put this biodiesel in it for um, maybe six months, and they and it actually cleaned up the engine. Yeah, well, it makes doesn't it make the regular? I was under the impression that uh, biodiesel contains more oxygen and uh, causes a more complete uh, burning of the other diesel fuel that's in there. Exactly. Yeah, the carbon that's in there—that that that would be the right right the uh, reason for that. Yeah. 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 I came across some numbers like a, a, a particulate emissions uh, reduction of seventy-five percent or something. It was way high. It's just a much more efficient. That that would be you know uh, I don't know if they were talking about B one hundred to one hundred percent biodiesel or B twenty, which is you know most of the places I've seen you know are B ten or something under B twenty. Yeah. Yeah. It depends on how much they can get their hands on. Yeah, yeah, I guess it's kind of hard, but it does have a, a big uh, 
a big effect on pollution. Yeah, you know, also, I think, you know, we've got to factor in that we're burning sunlight. Isn't a lot of what biodiesel is actually contributed by the sun itself? Yes. Yes, and that's that's a renew, definitely a renewable source of energy. It's not running out anytime soon. No, no, that's what I like about <laughs> it. It just, you know, that you don't have to dig anything. It's kind of carbon neutral or even, you know, I've read, okay, for example, if you, you grow soybeans, and you process the soybeans, it isn't just the carbon that the, that the roots are still in the ground, so actually you have a net loss, for, you know, for anyone that's concerned about CO2, it, it, you know, the roots and all that. So you're actually taking more out of the atmosphere than you're putting back in when you actually burn the biodiesel, in addition to uh, much more efficient uh, burning of the diesel in the big truck, which should should come out as an increased mileage as well. Yeah, and then uh, you also got the, uh, you have to add in the photosynthesis where, uh, you know, plants convert carbon dioxide to oxygen. That comes from sunlight, the energy of sunlight. So sunlight is, has a net negative carbon fingerprint as far as, so that, that's the, basically the lungs of the earth or, or the plants generate oxygen. Well, Chad, do you, do you do a lot of travel? I mean, Barry had mentioned earlier to me that you were, I didn't know how much you were traveling, but do you still do a lot of traveling in your in your job? Yeah, yeah, pretty much all over the country, uh, from Texas to, to North Dakota to Maine, down to you know uh, the Carolinas, Kentucky. Um, you know, I, I go to a lot of different Canada. Now, I, I knew that you had said earlier you had called in earlier on our last show that um, you had been you had been over in China. Uh, do you ever you, do you? You go out of the country often, or was that something that you used to do, or what? Uh, well, that that was uh, on the. Uh, I was invited to, to be part of a delegation for what they call People's Ambassadors, uh, and uh, basically, I went over with a group of water environment professionals, and we met with uh, the uh, delegations from the Chinese uh, water environment industry in uh, Beijing and Shanghai and a town called Guilin. So we visited a lot of different treatment plants. We met with uh, uh, the People's Movement for uh, Environmental Protection in uh, Beijing. Uh, and they're, they're, you know, their infrastructure is set up government-wise a little bit different than ours. Uh, and the people are, are starting their own movement. Uh, but uh, you know, they, they are very much into, uh, you know, Right now, I mean, they have the they use petroleum, but they they are very much in any kind of energy, including human labor, uh, as it were, to get things done. They do. There's a lot of people over there, so right now there's still a lot of uh, manual labor that gets a lot of work done, even with that giant dam that they built. But uh, I, I I went over there with a delegation, so we were kind of like representing our country and doing a little bit of a technical exchange and, and ideas on on what what the future is for environmental protection. Okay. Yeah, that's what I was just wondering. What I was getting at, if you had just seen, <clears throat> you know, other other places like that that had, uh, you know, that's delving into this alternative energy, and if they were looking at us as, uh, you know, like the leader into it, or if you yeah. had seen different ideas or anything like that. Now they are really looking at us as the leader. They're bad. And in fact, the people's movement was really begging us for any any input that they could get because uh, they didn't really trust the government. Uh, to be uh, forthright of things. 
Imagine that. Imagine that. And uh, so they said, well, you know, I, and we said, well, you know, these, you know, a lot of these things take money. And said, well, they're not, a, they're not about, they have no problem with the money, but they don't know what the government will do with the money that they give them. So uh, yeah. imagine that. <laughs> so, <laughs> and then, so and we like said, well, you know, you, you really got to write to your legislators and try to get them. I said, we're having the same problem in our country. I said, we just... <laughs> You know, we just keep hammering away at it, but uh, they have a lot of money over there right now. They they pretty much make all of our electronics, uh, and uh, you know they they in the in the big cities they're 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 flying high. Let me tell you, they're, and their technology is a bit a bit ahead of ours. Uh, well, big, you know, China is sitting on the biggest stash of um, cash of any country in, in history. That's one trillion dollars when they when they uh, you know. Kind of bailed us out, and they, they. Right. Uh, I just heard that the other day. So they're they're sitting on one trillion dollars cash. So that that's a that's a a lot of dollar bills. Yes, it is, and the, and they keep building them, and you know they're they're good at getting them out of your pocket when you're over there too. I'll tell you, <laughs> they have a hard sale. They have a real hard sale. They don't give up. They're relentless. Even the people, little vendors on the street, you know, you get this knockoff. Rolex watches, you know, they'll start out at fifty dollars. By the time you get done, you get three for ten, you know. Oh, oh, oh wow! <laughs> well, what do you, what do you see right now then? As uh, what do you think is going to be the first one? You know, the first alternative that's going to really come into play that you're seeing out there, out of all the things that we've discussed. Uh, I mean, is it going to be the methane or or the the rice stalks or what do you? What's your thoughts? Well, I mean, for for over the road fuel, I'm, ethanol is already in play. I mean, ethanol is going to have to be the thing that uh, keeps moving forward. But I, I, you know, there's there's going to be a better. I think the methane in the long run, the sustainability of the of methane, um, and uh, these and or and or generating ethanol from um, cellulose. And, uh, and and algae biodiesel are going to be the things that really uh, lower the percentage of petroleum chemicals that we're using. Is that? Yeah, I thought that was. I, di- I didn't hear. Uh, I'm glad you mentioned that plant. Where'd you say in Texas with the algae? Where was that? Rio Hondo. R I O H O N. Yeah, and it's. Uh, if um, I'll send you this link. And, yeah, because uh, I hadn't heard that. That was pretty interesting, then. Yeah, I just I just uh, searched it up, it, and it, like I said, it's it's supposed to open next week, or is the next week going to be the first week after? Uh week after, I believe. Yeah, somewhere yeah. in there. April first, and it's a big facility. I don't know exactly where Rio Hondo is, but I'm at, I'm a, I'm guessing it's on the Gulf somewhere. It's probably <laughs> close. Yeah, I would imagine it sounds like one of those uh, border towns down there. Yeah. Well, another good thing about all this is, uh, I mean, it ought to create jobs. Yes, yes, uh, and, and it has. Like I said, when I was uh, when I was in uh, North Dakota a couple of years ago, it was uh, you know it had made three or four hundred jobs right there. For this one plant, so yeah, uh, there's going to be a lot of jobs, and it'll be good for the country in two ways. That way, it'll generate domestic jobs and ones that can't leave. 
Right. And it'll it'll reduce our imports of uh, petroleum from uh, from Saudi Arabia and uh, well, all the other places. Yeah. yeah. Go ahead, Barry. I was gonna say, we we might have methane tanks on our trucks before long. Uh, well, I think I got excited when I read about that because you know it uh, it, it doesn't have to replace anything, and the amount of uh, I mean, actually, a diesel engine can be converted to burn ethanol. A lot of people don't know that. Uh, there are places where they do that. I don't think that's where we're heading here. I mean, it just doesn't make any sense for us to do that. But but the, the fuel's called E95, and it's 95% ethanol and 5% uh, ignition enhancer. So yeah. I don't know what they, so I imagine the ignition enhancer must uh, provide the lubricity. How do you say that word for the you know for the motor? Uh, yeah. I know. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh yeah, and uh, yeah, I, I guess when. If, when I answered your question before, strictly in, in focusing on trucks, which I guess we should be doing, this, this algae is uh, is a big thing. And look to Texas for both the algae and methane, because that's where this methane plant is going. It is starting up this year too. That uh, methane uh, from this uh, uh, it's in San Antonio, Texas. Yeah, no, don't worry about. It. We could talk about car fuel. Uh, believe it or not, oh, yeah. us, us truck drivers, we got four wheelers too. We just don't admit to it, you know. <laughs> you don't think. <laughs> Home at night? Oh, I'm disappointed. <laughs> I, I used to take the truck home at night. The neighbors got mad. Yeah, the neighbors, they, they don't tend to understand why they don't. You're taking up 10 parking spaces and crossing their driveway, right? Yeah, well, they, I used to, that was years ago, and I had my own truck. Yeah, I'd crank it up at 3 a.m. They didn't. I tried to idle out there, but it didn't work too well, you know. But, but yeah, yeah. Whatever form it comes in, you know, by any means, if a, if a car... Uh, yeah, as far as cars go, I mean, I think anybody that's serious about uh, it, here I go with the government rant here, but if the government was serious about alternative energies, I mean, like really serious, like we want to get it done, the first thing they do would be to require every automobile sold in the United States to be able to burn any any uh, variation of flex fuel of uh, ethanol. You know, right now it's E10, and, yeah. you know, uh, you could burn 100% ethanol if the car's set up to do that at the manufacturing level it's only a hundred dollars per vehicle and in fact back in the 90s gm and and ford they were making the cars but nobody was you know it was only a hundred dollars they didn't so much mind but nobody was buying them for the sake of that because they couldn't get any ethanol fuel anyway but i think a, a big part of the solution would be for cars to be able to burn e85 e50 whatever the person wants and have some sort of blending system that would make it a whole lot more practical and displace a whole lot more oil yeah. Oh, yeah. Definitely. I mean, a lot of them can uh, uh, burn E85 now, right? Yeah. If they're set up, you could take your own car, and I, I believe it costs about three hundred dollars. It's primarily the modern cars uh, are, are using a rubber that the ethanol doesn't particularly affect. Old vehicles pre nineteen ninety, you know, you might be hitting on something that has natural rubber, or the gaskets are un- unable to handle the alcohol. But the yeah. cars they make now, it, it, they have to uh, put a stainless steel fuel line in. I think that's really the only. Uh, uh, you know, yeah, and a, and a sensor. There's a, a sensor in there that senses what kind of fuel it has in it. But at the manufacturing level, it's about $100 per vehicle. And you could still run straight gas or whatever, but it would give you the option of burning a higher percentage of ethanol. Yeah, the only uh, drawback with uh, higher percentages of ethanol is your mileage goes down uh, because the uh, ethanol is not as rich of a fuel. 
it's not as energy dense. Yeah, I knew I knew that. But if the car specifically, it, if the car specifically made to burn it, it actually does better. But yeah, you're right. It's a less energy dense fuel, so as such, you do get less mileage on on 100% ethanol. You're absolutely correct. But uh, if the car is set up to actually burn it, though, you do better than you do on a car right now that's uh, not necessarily set up to burn that fuel. Oh, okay, I see. Yeah, right. the computer computer chip senses on it, you know. Uh-huh. But, I, but I just thought that would be just wonderful, you know, if you could. So you got to, once the cars are on the road, the stations will start carrying the products. See, the, the, the problem is that, with the E10, you can't go any higher because of the vehicles. But as 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 years went by, you'd have vehicles could burn anything. Yeah, yeah. Well, it but sounds like a lot lot more cost to the taxpayers. But I guess I mean eventually, I guess we would be there. Well, no, it actually the the reason. Uh, I, I mean, if the new vehicles had it, you can go get your car tomorrow set up to to to. to to run E85, it's, it, it was about three hundred dollars. I guess it depends on where you get it done and year and make of your vehicle and stuff like that. But it can be done. It's primarily a sensor and a computer chip that changes the fuel air mixture. And, and, and you have a sensor in your car now that that it's just a, a different one that's uh, made to deal with the ethanol in addition to the stainless steel fuel lines. Yeah, and and that's as a retrofit. That you're you're mostly paying for labor on that. If if they were built into the cars coming off the assembly line, it would cost. Ten dollars, maybe you know. Uh, it's, it's, I mean, it would be much less expensive, and it wouldn't really impact the price of the car that much. No, yeah. it wouldn't. Yeah, you're right about that. But that's like you said, Barry. If the government was really serious. Well, I, you know me, Alan. That's my opinion. They ain't serious. You know what they're serious about, Alan? You really want to know what they're serious about? They're serious about filling their pockets up with cash. They don't give a. They don't care less about well, us than frequently. You know. Uh, you know. Of course. Yeah, maintain the bureaucracy, and every time we add another layer of bureaucracy, that's another you know, another layer of money that's taken out of our pockets. And it's you never get rid of any layers of bureaucracy. It doesn't seem like seems like they're more important than anything in the world. <laughs> Let me give you a for example as far as that ethanol goes. Uh, I live in Ocala, Florida. We can grow crops 12 months a year, and I do. You know, like stuff that we eat. But sugar cane, sugar beets, uh, Jotropa, which I'll get into that in a minute. Jotropa is extremely promising when it comes to making biodiesel. If oh. we could produce it at a local level and there was cars in the city that could burn ethanol, somebody who wants to make a buck will throw an ethanol tank in the ground. and throw, The blending systems are already on the pumps. When you buy plus at a gas station, you're already getting uh, uh, 60%. You know, I don't know. My brain's uh, skipping a beat here, but you're getting a mixture of premium and regular to come out with 89 octane. And, you know, so the blending systems are nothing. There's no big deal about them. But at the point that the ethanol, that the cars are there, the, the, the tanks will show up is what I mean, without costing the taxpayers necessarily anything. Because lo- whoever's got the ethanol might do the business, you know? Yeah, yeah. Because, uh, I mean, you know, we hit $147 a barrel for oil last year, and it it's going to go back up. Saudi Arabia... What the heck was it there? So far, I think it's four, a little over four million barrels a day they cut out of the market since September, and uh, you know that's all about jumping it up to a hundred dollars a barrel. And they're going to keep cutting. They're talking about another five hundred thousand dollars a barrel. So right now, you know, hey, gas is a dollar ninety or whatever, and diesel, you know, diesels will run a little more. I forget two twenty or something like that, you know. But uh, 
you know, eventually they're they're going to slam us again. It's coming. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, yeah, no doubt about it. So I mean, the time to react is now, and you know, at any time, Congress, if they actually cared, they they could just mandate that. And the car manufacturers don't necessarily care, you know. It's like I say, they were doing it for free. A G, GM, I think, for a fact, wasn't even charging the extra hundred dollars. It was kind of like when you bought a new car, you just checked it off. But uh, it's probably still available. I don't know. But if it was on all the cars, then the ethanol. Uh, could be produced on a local level, and uh, guess who that cuts out of the loop if you produce it on a local level? Uh, uh, the big one? <laughs> yeah, I figured you'd figure that out. Yeah, it would cut them right out of the loop because uh, the, the local dealer for ethanol doesn't need to deal with the oil company, so it's a it's a double blessing, you know. Yeah, and that you know that's going to be a factor in what, what uh, these alternative fuels too, because. You know, uh, who's going to be able to manipulate the market for corn stover or, or, or rice straw? <laughs> I mean, if you think about it, there's going to be some resistance there, too. Yeah, yeah. Well, that'll cut them out. I, I, you know, right, right now, the way things were done when the ethanol program was initiated, they still have full control over the liquid fuel market. And, you know, so uh, they, they spent a fortune putting blending systems and tanks, and they're having this stuff, for, like I said, primarily. Well, it either has to come in on a train or a truck. You can't pump ethanol through a pipeline. So they still control it. I'm not, I don't know that they're you know, ripping us off. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that they 100% control the liquid fuel market. And until a car can actually burn 100% ethanol, there won't be any. There's no competition. That's, that's the truth about the oil business. Yeah. Yeah, there's only uh, collaboration. Yeah, so write your senator and congressman to tell them, you know, uh, uh, you're going to have to do without the campaign contributions and do the right thing here. But under any circumstance, buying oil from OPEC is nuts. And, and even if, even if a gallon of gasoline costs more, if it was produced here, we wouldn't be, you know, let's face it, when those planes flew into those the towers, we, we paid for that. Yeah. We did. Well, so, I mean, very. So you're 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 saying you don't trust OPEC? <laughs> no, I actually don't. Yeah, Hugo Chavez. And, hey, you want to hear something interesting? That you know, there, well, there's a really, uh, uh, you know, as I was researching for this show, there's actually an organized movement against biofuels, and some of the information that people get is just simply not true. And you know, and you can guess who's funding it. But one of the, one of the groups that's funded is called Saudi Arabia, and I just pick on them first. They hire a lobbying firm out of Washington, D.C. that's lobbying Congress as we speak and lobbying them in their best interest. And one of the lobbyists who works for the lobbying firm was the Secretary of Energy from 2000 to 2004. He was the guy that was talking about the hydrogen economy and how he was going to help us get off oil, and now he's a high-paid employee of Saudi Arabia, basically through second-party employee of Saudi Arabia. So that's, that's oh, kind man. of – if you're wondering, if you're wondering why uh, nothing happened as far as getting off oil – that might be a good indicator. They gave a guy a cush job as soon as he left his post as Secretary of Energy. <laughs> why doesn't that? Why does that not surprise me? Well, I I know I know it's preaching to the choir, but but that's the way it, that that's the way it works. And you know, I think ultimately, if uh, the every gallon of biodiesel, even if it did cost a little more, 
would would be a whole lot uh, better for us, you know. And a lot of the stuff, even the stuff with the corn ethanol program, some some of the stuff that was put out there was funded by by different groups that have a vested interest in not seeing that happen. Because well, let's face it, every gallon of ethanol, even now, when you you know with the E10, every uh, 10 gallons you got one gallon less that's coming from oil. So somebody's not happy. Yeah, and then the other Go thing ahead. about okay. having our own source of energy is that we don't have to worry about the price of from the OPEC cartel. Whenever they decide to, to burn us, they're going to jack the price up through the roof and dangle it in front of us until we, uh, you know, until they decide, oh, gee, we're not selling enough, and I guess we better lower the price, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, one of the things that they put out there last year was that the ethanol program was jacking the price of corn, and they ignored the fact that $147 a barrel oil had everything to do with the price of corn. I'm not saying it didn't have any impact on it at all, but primarily what was jacking the price of corn was, was the price of fuel that it was costing to, to grow the corn and market it and, and do everything to the corn. And if you haven't noticed, all of a sudden, when the oil price dropped down, you didn't hear anybody screaming about corn anymore. So it was a, kind of, it was a little bit of a scam. Yeah, no, it's actually, you know, that's the thing that's hard to factor into when you're doing calculations on this kind of stuff on what's economical. And they float the price of oil around just so, you, you know, the they can anything you can't get a handle on it to really say okay well this is going to make money or not make money and and we're so tied to the bottom line on everything nowadays that we're, we're frozen we can't go it, it it impedes progress in a, in a situation like this it, it really it's, it's absolutely painful <laughs> you know who's it hurt the worst it hurts the person with the, with the least amount of cash in their wallet to to, to afford it when that. What did gas get up to? I mean, you know, I, I mean, four dollars a gallon it was something crazy there for a while. It was just putting us hurting on people. Well, diesel around here was at four sixty a gallon. Yeah, diesel. Yeah, I was paying over. Well, I wasn't. My company their credit card. They had tears rolling down their cheeks. I was, I was filling up into, you know, I, I mean, at one time I had a two hundred fifty dollar cap on this thing, and that wouldn't even. That was just one tank. After a while, you know, that. We got a different car, but yeah, it was hundreds of dollars a day just for one truck. You know, I, I broke the hundred dollar tank barrier in my uh, in my Dodge pickup. <laughs> well, I'll tell, tell you, you could use a little ethanol yourself, there, pal. Yeah. <laughs> well, Chad, I know uh, a little while ago you had mentioned fossil fuels, and I mean, I know yeah. you're not a, bio, a biologist, but uh, and, but I'm sure you've heard. I mean, I've I, I've heard on the. This, some of these shows and everything where people are saying that, you know, we're running out of coal, we're running out of fossil fuels. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, what do you think about that? I mean, this, this is bringing back nightmares from high school with my D average in science. But, I mean, does the, I mean, does the earth just, if you know, does the earth just produce this on its own anyway? I mean, could we ever actually run out of fossil fossil fuels? That's a that's a tough one. The uh, the amount of oil that we have, the, the calculations vary widely depending on which study you look at. So there's some. If you look at the worst cases, the the lowest study that we're going to run out in 50 years. Uh, if you look at the best study, we're good for another 200 and some. I mean, you know. It's, yeah. It's, uh, and then it's a wide swing there. It's a wide swing, and that's that's what the uh, you know the pumpable oil. And then you get down to okay, how can we recover more if we, if we really wanted to? Uh, you know, they set off a, a you know put some heat, some, some thermal 
devices in the ground that uh, that release some of this oil that's stuck in the in the on the walls of these caverns that we pumped out of, and uh, you know, then then how much more do you get out of that? They, they don't really know. But I mean, I, I don't. Um, I, I think it's it's probably a good thing to be wary of, but uh, I, it's not going to happen real soon. They they may have gotten through the easy stuff at this point, so it may get a little bit harder for them to pump it. These guys are making millions and billions of dollars off of, off of us every day. If they maybe they got to work a little harder for it, I don't, I don't well, see that's going to well, stop. I, mean, I I grew up in the in the oil field out in Oklahoma, and I worked out on the rigs, and I was on the drilling rigs, and I was a mud logger, and and I mean yeah. I seen the oil I seen the oil and gas that's just in Oklahoma, and of course we can get into Anwar and and uh, you know but the whole thing about you know drill here drill now. Uh, I mean, I I could just see that alleviating so much if if we would just do that. But uh, yeah, you know, maybe yeah, we're yeah. just on this. You know, go go ahead. Well, I, you know, I, you know, I also what I think. Uh, I mean, we've got this getting to get into a political uh, discussion a little bit, but I mean, we've got this great oil reserve that we put this big pipeline up in Alaska, and most of that oil from Alaska is never getting to the mainland. To the continental United States, it's, it's going right across to the ocean to Japan and China. Now, right. why don't just let them get their oil from Saudi Arabia, and then we'll just pipe our own oil down to us? I mean, where does that, that make? I mean, that's a good point because I had a I had a friend who um, was actually there when they were building the pipe the Alaskan pipeline yeah. way back then, and uh, he was in charge of a large section of it. And and uh, I mean that that's a good point. So I mean, you know. The, these alternative fuels are great, but if, if I mean, like I said, I've, I've been in the oil field. I've seen it with my own eyes, and, and uh, I, I, you know, I just get frustrated with that because I wish we could just drill here. And the technology in drilling is just, is just unbelievable from what it was in the 70s. I mean, when an oil rig was put up and yeah. it drilled and it pulled it out and then they capped it out and then they moved the rig, I mean, you could tell that an oil rig had been there, but now... The technology is just amazing. You you can go in there with an oil rig, drill, do what you need to do, cap it off, put the pumping unit up there, and I mean it. It doesn't even leave a dot on the landscape anymore. But uh, exactly, yeah, they got. You know, I, I agree with you 100. percent I, I go out to Ohio a lot, and then uh, up around Akron, Ohio, there's numerous little tiny oil uh, donkeys. You know, just going. They they start mm-hmm. up up a little bit, and they got like a 5,000-gallon tag next to them, and I guess every once in a while somebody comes and taps it off, but they, they're just going, doing their thing every once in a while, you know. Well, that's, that's, why I, that's why I was curious about if we could ever run it. Yeah, I, I, you know, I don't, I don't see it happening soon. I, I, I wouldn't say never, but I don't see it happening, you know, in our lifetime. I mean, there's pumping units out in Oklahoma and Texas that I that I know of personally that have been pumping continuously every day, seven days a week since the 30s and 40s. Exactly. <laughs> and so, Barry, you don't know. You, I had to get you out to Oklahoma one of these days, get you out there in one of those pumping units. <laughs> I like to look at them. I, just, I don't think I'm up to the task of uh, working on them anymore. I've seen too many pictures of guys getting blown off the rig and covered with mud and stuff like that. Oh, man. And my family, my brothers and my dad, they used to come home um, just, I mean, just just black as night, man, just covered covered with all that stuff, man. 
<laughs> it was kind of fun. You know, yeah. I had a comp- comment about Anwar specifically and where they want to drill. It, well, here, here's how it has to happen, and it, I guess it's coming back to campaign contributions again. It's the only thing I can figure is tell them, we'll let you drill on Anwar. You know, it's 18 million acres, and they only need a couple thousand on the northern tip where Anwar uh, – am I using the right word, Anwar? I think it's called that, – that, uh, yeah, place everybody's yeah. arguing about where, where it meets mm-hmm. the Arctic Ocean. They don't need to go into the interior. They need a couple thousand acres at 18 million or whatever it is. So it's, there's been a lot of lying going on about that. They don't want to. It's, it's, it's terrible terrain. They'd have to put roads in. They don't have any desire to do that. They can put their drills right there uh, where it meets the Arctic Ocean and slant drill in and, and suck out immense quantities of oil. And from there, they can run a pipeline across uh, that west to. Uh, Purdue Bay and hook up with the existing pipeline. But what someone needs to say is, okay, you can drill for the oil in Anwar, but you need to take it to California or Washington State to process it. No more shipping it to China or, uh, you know, Japan, wherever the heck they're sending it. Yeah, well, that's where the technology has come in, because back when I was in it, I mean, the deepest oil well, the deepest uh, depth, uh, let's see, how do they put that? The deepest depth that a rig had drilled back then was 33,000 feet, and that was in Elk City, Oklahoma. And there wasn't any such thing as slant drilling and all that. And now with the technology, we can drill deeper and deeper. And, I mean, I've got photos here at the house when I was in an oil field of of these rigs when the BOPs, the blowout preventers, couldn't handle the gas that was coming up the line, and they call it a blowout. I've got a rig. You know how big these rigs are with just flames shooting above the top of the tower of the rig. And, I mean, and that was just one little rig. So, I mean, I know firsthand what, uh, how much gas and oil is down in there. And like I said earlier, it, 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 would just, it would just leave a little speck on the landscape. So that alone right there could, uh, could get us off of this Saudi oil and all that. But, uh, you know, I don't know if it will ever happen or not. Well, all the royalties from that oil... Go, go to America, you know, just specifically Anwar, the other place, there's an ocean oil under the Gulf of Mexico, and I had heard that nine years ago that Chevron was saying that, you know, and I know it was in the news recently that there's an ocean of this stuff under there, and the technology is there now to drill in the Gulf if they want it, you know, there's all kind of oil. See, see here's the thing, while we're switching over to, uh, to biofuels or whatever, I mean, why not use our own, you know, why do we continue to pump uh, uh, trillions of dollars to other countries when it could be staying here, you know, there's you go off the coast of Florida, there's a lot of people living here who could use those, and those are high-paying jobs. Uh, you know, it just doesn't make any sense at all to not – it's sort of like – you know what it reminds me of? It's sort of like a guy that lives in the forest, right, who lives in a thousand-acre forest that he owns, and, he, and he's importing his firewood. That's kind of what we're doing right now, you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's a good way to put it. Well, it, you know, it, it has to do with money. I mean, obviously it has to. Yeah. Money I, somewhere. I, yeah, it's getting. I get depressed when I think about it. But you know, I, I mean, we, you know, we need to start putting ourselves first at some level. And you know, it, it, it's not, it's not fair to be paying exorbitant prices. You know, for no good reason. When that that money could be going right to America. Yeah, you know, we got a budget deficit. Just suppose every barrel of oil you pulled out of the Gulf of Mexico, you put a twenty dollar uh, royalty on it or whatever. You know, ten dollars a barrel and just you know pay the deficit off with it. Generate. Income that way, you know. I don't think people so much mind paying uh, paying what they're paying for fuel if they thought some of it was landing in uh, Milwaukee, you know, or, or or Miami or someplace, you know. Not 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 what we're doing now is nuts. 
you're getting us out of debt as a country. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there's. Uh, well, that's why Alaskans floating in cash because they get a royalty per barrel on the oil, you know. And uh, and the, I, I don't know the specifics, but the federal government gets their share. Anything coming out of Anwar is federal property, so obviously they get a cut, you know. And as long as it's, you know, it, it the, yeah, they just got to put put their foot down and say, hey, if you drill it, if you pump it in America, it stays in America. I mean, yeah, it's, it's just yeah. time. Yeah. Now they do too much. We we let businesses do things. Uh, for their convenience, you know, they they'll swap this for that, but you know, nobody's keeping track of that. And in the end run, we're ju- we're just getting drained of our own resources, to, and they're getting sent abroad. Yeah, there's lots of it, and I don't. How aware are you of that? Uh, it sounds like something you you might know something about. Chad. What's the technology? Because you know, and, uh, you know, both our grandfathers were coal miners, and we. You, you can remember all the coal mine stories from when you were a kid. What, what do you know about the technology? And I know it was developed in the 40s, I want to say, or 30s, of uh, uh, converting uh, coal to uh, oil, yeah. to diesel. Yeah, well, I mean, there's various ways to do that. There's one, uh, I they call it a uh, co-gas uh, project that I worked on back, uh, I didn't really, I didn't work on it. I was working with people that worked on it. Uh, but uh, they... Uh, we're looking at coal. One of the ways to use the coal, which they do use in power plants, is just to grind it up into a fine particulate and slurry it with oil, and uh, you know, into like basically carbon dust. And that's one way to burn it. It's so finely divided that it just, you know, it, it explodes. And uh, but there's there's definitely technology you can liquefy it, uh, and uh, you know, convert it. Uh, that that technology is there. It's it's just sitting on the shelf, really. Yeah, well, I was under the impression that during World War II, Hitler, we had cut off his supply lines for crude oil, and that he had taken coal and he was running his uh, he was running his tanks on it. And then what really what really put him out of business what wasn't so much you know uh, bombing Berlin, but what they did was they bombed his. Uh, coal to uh, oil facilities and he you know his tanks ran out of gas well that's you know that's why hitler went into poland first because they have huge coal reserves in the southern part of poland and i uh when i went over there uh, i spoke to some people that basically they had uh, they were pow's in the in their own in their own town and they were forced into they're forced labor into coal mines but they they had to produce a lot of coal for the germans and they used it for their fuel like i said uh but they, but that's why they were able to go for so long because they had that alternative technology, and that's yeah. you know otherwise if they would have been dependent on completely on oil like like we are, they would have been shut down you know the second year of the war. Yeah, well, I'm just thinking all them people up in West Virginia, and it's a beautiful place, but there's not a whole lot of jobs, but there's a whole lot of coal, you know. They could be digging that out and putting people to work, and uh, you know my understanding of the process. You know, one of the things they say is, well, it takes X number of uh, gallons of fuel to make X number of gallons of. I don't know what terminology you use because it's called coal diesel, if you will, coal, uh, liquid coal. Uh, but you know, one one of the uh, people that was going to invest in it big time, and and I don't know with the, with the drop in the price of oil whether or not they did. The government was giving them a bad time, but they said, "What are you talking about? We'll take the diesel fuel that we just made from the coal and use that for the process. We're not taking anybody's. You know what I mean? To be self-sufficient energy-wise, as far as producing it, they're just going to take diesel that they made and use that to fire up the the processors. Right. So it was kind of a scam a little bit, you know. 
Yeah, it's yeah, it's, it's stupid. They're uh, when you look at it from that perspective, they're gonna they're making fuel. They can use their own fuel to run their plant. Once they get started, you know, once they run run the first couple hundred thousand gallons out, they got enough to to fill their their gas tanks up, and then the rest is for sale, right? Yeah, yeah. So I just was curious if. It, you know what exactly the process was. I, I guess it's, uh, it might be similar to the biofuel. I mean, you know, what's the difference between a biofuel and a fossil fuel? Is just how long the thing's been dead, correct? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, the fossil fuel they dig up out of the ground, so that's coal and oil, natural gas. But methane, you know, is equivalent to natural gas. We have uh, algae that's equivalent to oil, and uh, you know, cellulose uh, can be converted. Uh, coal. I mean, the, the, the processes that I know of, I, I, I'd, I'd have to. Uh, delve more into it, but they, like I said, they, a lot of times they would grind uh, the coal into fine particulate and slurry it with the oil. I think that's what the Germans were doing. Oh, so they were actually mixing it. Yeah, they're actually mixing it up. And uh, that's, you know, that's one way, because when you, when you think about, you know, if you have the lead on a pencil, it gets into a real fine powder. You know, if you, if you mix, and that would just Suspend itself in the oil, so uh, it's, once you once you mix it up real good, it, it'll stay in suspension for a while. If, as long oh, okay. As, as long as you're pumping it around, and uh, you, you could, uh, you know, you 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 would be able to deliver it. It it, 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 it it's got a pretty good storage stability. It's not going to last forever before it settles out, but it'll, it'll last long enough. Your average gas station, how often do you fill up a tank? I mean, it's always moving. You know, it doesn't sit for more than a couple of weeks, right? <laughs> Some of those places <laughs> every day they get a truck in. But, yeah, it, it, you know, at least once a week, you know, or that's at the slowest kind of a place. Yeah, they're it, – it's – well, you know, that's one thing about petroleum, I can say for sure. It never does stop moving from the time it comes out of the ground to the time you put it in your car. It's, there's no big uh, there's no big storage – I mean, well, there are storage tanks, but they're, they, they get sucked dry in no time. So it's – Perpetually moving product. Uh, and uh, I mean, they they also make coal into gas. Uh, so, and uh, they have power plants that. I mean, they take the coal and they uh, they, they actually they heat it up, and they put it over the, some catalysts. They dissolve it with sulfuric acid. They liquefy it, and then they uh, put it. Uh, It's a little bit of a complicated process, but that's another uh, use. <laughs> I know you're trying to figure out how to say it so we can understand it, huh? Yeah, I'm looking at a diagram here. And it's, <laughs> it's a little bit complicated. They've got catalysts and fuel cells. They take the hydrogen out. Uh, you know, they're actually just breaking down the coal, and uh, and it could be used for anything: coal, biomass, uh, any kind of waste, petroleum. Uh, coke fields. I mean, the oil. This uh, well, a low-grade uh, petroleum product that's being uh, that's hit the uh, uh, hit the forefront lately is uh, the tar sands up in Alberta, Canada, and they they're taking those and it's just basically sand and this, this tarry sand. They're all just taking it and they're just cooking it and and uh, you know uh, leaching out the oil from it. But. Um, Oh, so they're doing that now? Yeah, oh yeah, it's it's huge. So there's really a lot of stuff going on then. Yes, there is. Yes, there is. You don't hear a lot about it. 
which is yeah, surprising. that's just it. I hadn't heard that. I hadn't heard the rice stalks. So, yeah. um, well, I wonder why they keep it so hush hush. Well, I don't know. They're they're getting rich up in Calgary on those oil sands. Don't those oil sands extend down into Montana and places like that? They do. So we could be doing it. The Canadians are doing it. We're not. And we could do it better because it's a little warmer down in Montana than it is up in, you know, the six three months of the year. It's it's the, you know, twenty below zero up in Calgary. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, we're not doing it, but we got it too. So it's another one of those kind of a thing. Uh, I actually, a lot of the oil we import is from Canada. Yeah, and so you know, it, but they jumped on it. You know, jumped on it with both feet. I mean, there's there's a lot of oil barons in in Canada now. In they, oh yeah, of, in Calgary, yeah. Uh, they have these huge. I mean, it requires you know all the biggest earth moving equipment and everything else, and I don't know how they. And I don't know how uh, how strict their EPA is compared to ours. I mean, our EPA would come in and we cut off our nose to spite our face sometimes. And over minor infractions, they'll uh, they, they, they do so many hoops you got to jump through. Sometimes they'll let a, you know let a few things that a reasonable go uh, in the interest of establishing a, a, an industry. Well, wouldn't that apply across the board as far as? Uh if we extracted our own oil, we could at least make sure the environment wasn't getting trashed by it. I'm not, I'm not yeah. getting uh, a lot of these other countries care less. They probably do whatever they want to do, correct? Yeah, yeah, they do. Especially you know, if you go overseas, China, Asia, they they have no regulations. Yeah, so we'd really be better doing it ourselves. At least for whatever damage we might do, at least we'd be able to monitor it and, and do it as cleanly as possible. You know. Yeah, and we we mine coal up in the same region uh, with these earth, these big giant earth moving uh, things, and I, I you know maybe it's because the coal companies don't want the competition. I don't know. That has anything. Uh, well, there was a law <laughs> forbidding them from dealing with tar, uh, digging the tar sands up in the United States. I don't know what kind of you know it's some kind of statute, and it may have expired, but they kind of like. At some point, actually banned it. I don't know who was behind getting it banned, but it was. So I don't. It, it would, I don't imagine it's going to get lifted anytime soon. Well, it, there, there's there's huge coal reserves up there that are being mined. So I would imagine, and it, and it uses the same kind of equipment for for mining it. You know, it's just the processing equipment that's different. The coal the coal that they mine is uh, is also taken out with giant earth movers. Yeah. So I guess either way, you're going to. You're digging up the earth, whether it's in Canada or the United States. I just say it's the same planet, you know, so I think it would be better if we did it. I, I know the strip mines up in, uh, in the northeast that they used to dig, I mean, they're all, they all look like woods now. When those guys are through, I mean, they just make it look like a, a parkland. I mean, they're pretty good at covering up their, their scars anymore. Correct. Yeah, and they, they do that, and it doesn't cost them uh, a whole heck of a lot compared to what the cost they save for mining. And, uh, and they do it, you know, they just but you know, we... There's, you just got to demand responsibility and accountability out of these mining companies and make sure they follow through. You can't let them get get away with a lot of the practices back in the, you know, 30s and 20s and 40s and 50s, or the, you know, especially West Virginia had some notorious uh, problems with uh, small outfits where they had disasters and things. But you know, if if it's well regulated, uh, it's 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 the way to go. 
Yeah. Well, what do you think about hydrogen technology as far as a fuel source? Because that could can hydrogen be generated through through biofuels, or how do how do they get hydrogen? Yeah. I mean, there's there's a, a basic uh, hydrogen generation comes from the uh, cracking, if you will, of water into hydrogen and oxygen, and basically called a fuel cell. It takes electricity, which can be generated by a photo uh, by you know a, a, a photovoltaic cell by a, a a solar panel, uh, electric solar panel, and you can take the, the electricity from that and it'll, it'll break the water down into hydrogen and oxygen that's collected into two different tanks. And then that hydrogen and oxygen is recombined and burned to run your engine, whatever kind of engine you're running. But uh, that's that's a, also uh, called fuel cells. And uh, actually the most efficient uh, uh, way of getting hydrogen is actually breaking down uh, petroleum because there's a lot of hydrogens on it. Uh, so you get more more bang for the buck there. But you're so, not... Yeah. Well, I mean, so when you say petroleum, that, that could be sourced from coal. It could, you know, I mean, when you say petroleum, could that, could you crack the, the liquid coal or could you crack uh, soy diesel or could, do you know what I mean? Will any hydrocarbon kind of thing work? Yeah, you can you can dehydrogenate it with catalytic. Uh, you can take it in the same way that they dehydrogenate vegetable oil, and you generate hydrogen. Wow! Uh, so is it practical as a fuel for a v, uh, motor vehicle? It's supposed to be. Uh, well, I'm, they they would have to be set up. I mean, but there are cars that run on hydrogen right now that are experimental. People pull up to a hydrogen tank and they fill up. They got these connectors, and uh, they've got uh, nine of them, or ten of them that I believe GM General Motors is uh, had given to people, and they're using them. And it was on the news. Uh, it was on a, a not the news, but it was on a show that I watched about uh, six months ago. Yeah, BP uh, had actually invested significant amounts of money in hydrogen research. They, I, I saw a picture, and it was a BP publication that they, you know, it's their magazine, it's their company magazine, and I had some time to kill one day. I was reading it, and they I had a picture of a hydrogen station, you know, that they had envisioned for the future. This is probably about 10 years ago, but they were working on it, you know. They could, they were just kind of knowing, well, look, if, you know, if we're not going to have oil, we want to still sell something. So, uh, but, but they, I believe, I want to say in Orlando, they actually have one of those hydrogen you can actually fill up yeah well these cars i mean they they're supplying the hydrogen they're giving these people uh uh you know they're basically i guess commuter cars for local driving that these people are are uh, trying out but they they all love them and they're you know they don't have any exhaust they, but when you burn hydrogen you get water that's what that's what your exhaust is water so i mean just get water vapor coming out the tailpipe and it's a very clean fuel. There's no pollution at all. I mean, just making more water. Um, you know, what could that hurt? So, I mean, ultimately, if we wanted to have, uh, you know, if we were in our own little biosphere and we had to live on a, a metered amount of uh, atmosphere, I mean, that would be the, the, the ultimate fuel. Yeah, because well, what, what you're saying when you turn it back into water, then then actually you could turn the water back into hydrogen, correct? So you, you, it's just like an endless supply, assuming you have the energy to crack the water to begin with. Right, right, and that comes from the sunlight. That can yeah. come Well, one thing I'm getting out of all these ideas, because I'm certainly no scientific mind, but it's just a, 
I mean, it really seems more more difficult to me now after listening to you guys because what I'm getting out of all this is that it's just uh, everything, every idea that they come up with, the the cost of production will kind of end up being more than what the what energy is produced. Yeah, and that's and that's why I said I, I it's hard to give you an answer on you know what what do you think is going to happen. I mean, the, in my mind. My best bet would be the driving force is going to be where they take some uh, raw material that's sitting around, and there's a, going to be a lot of it, and they're able to convert it at a at a good profit, and uh, that that'll be the way they go. And like I'm, I'm betting on maybe this things like the rice straw and the corn corn uh, corn stalks that are just waste. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Those kind of that's things. What, that's, that's what you see as the best uh, raw materials. Yeah, moving forward. Right those, yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, for generating, uh, those are the most renewable and the most, probably the most beneficial in, uh, from the standpoint of that they're just doing nothing right now. You know, yeah, any, well, there, are you familiar with a crop called Jatropha, J-A-T-R-O-P-H-A? Uh, no. Well, they just opened up a 15,000 square foot, uh, <laughs> Where do you, where do you, where where do you come up with this stuff, Barry? <laughs> it's just a wild. word you just you just made that word up. I just yeah well nobody knows that probably, everybody's out there googling jatropha right now trying to figure out if you're telling you. no jatropha grows wild in Florida it's a native crop of Mexico and it's amazing they're opening up a fifteen thousand square foot oil pressing plant near Naples and uh, it's real promising <clears throat> and I just wanted to throw this out there. And uh, so I'm guessing you haven't heard of it. It's known as tuba in our country. So I see you used to play the tuba, didn't you, Bear? So. Yeah. Oh, nobody was supposed to know. Yeah, I used to be a musician. You know, <laughs> I can't. I, I. It gets in the way when I'm driving down the road. I haven't been playing it much lately. But listen you know. to this. It, it has been used by our ancestors as a folkloric medicine for rheumatic pains, snake bites, and also insecticides. <laughs> I'll sell you a bottle of that. <laughs> I tell you, I'm a Jatropha. Oh, you're talking about Jatropha? Yeah, it's, it's pretty amazing stuff. And here's the the big plus with Jatropha is that it can grow in really poor soil. I mean, it's growing down in South Florida in straight sand, and uh, it, it's an, it's pretty amazing stuff. It's, it's real promising in Florida. Uh, they were looking at seven biofuel plants. I don't. Know. I do know that the, the one in Naples. I saw a report that that was actually opening up. So, but you know, this would be using land. Uh, some of the they're encouraging because the orange uh, juice. A lot of that's being imported. They bring it in by ship and they process it here in Florida. But you know, the oranges aren't as profitable as they used to be. But and also would lighten diseases on some of the uh, orchards. They're encouraging them to plant that, so it's kind of like hope for the farmers. I think it's pretty much a tropical plant. I don't know exactly which agricultural zones it grows in. It's uh, it's uh, tropical. It's uh, indigenous to uh, India and uh, neighboring Asian Philippines, Asian countries. And then the, the neat part about it is that you it's you just basically press the oil out of the seeds, and you can extract a whole liter of oil from uh, six pounds of seeds. Yeah, yeah, they're talking, uh, right now they're talking between, and it's already, like I say, it's already planted here. They're already doing it commercially, but they're, it's it's real, you know, they're really hopeful because of the ability to grow in poor soils and drought doesn't affect it. Well, it lives in India, it gives you an idea, but they're talking each acre right now, they're getting 600 to 1,000 gallons of oil a year per acre, 
and uh, the researchers are they're working on some hybrid varieties which would yield even more than that. Yeah, they're saying India is going to. Uh, they're talking about planting as much as 33 million hectares of wasteland, and it's enough biodiesel could be extracted to meet India's current diesel fuel requirement of 40 million tons annually. Do you, do you see what I mean? Yeah, when I read about wow. it, I had heard it on the news when they were opening that plant. They had it on the local news that, uh, about Zotropa. Did you want to say something, else? No, I was just going, wow, because I hadn't heard of it. That plant in Naples is already open, did you say, or is opening? That That's the report I got is that they are currently, oh, they're building it. They're, forgive me, they're currently building 15,000 square foot oil pressing plant. It's somewhere between Naples and Fort Myers, and they're encouraging the farmers down there. In addition to using land, that they, you, you live in Florida. You know, what do we got, an inch of topsoil? You know, they yeah, grow a lot of stuff maybe. down here, but, but you've got to dump a lot on there to get it to grow, you know. So it's really encouraging that they can take land, and it won't compete with agricultural crops, so nobody, nobody's going to lose yeah. their dinner. Yeah, well, that's pretty cool. Called, what's it called again? What did you say? Uh, what, i got to make it up twice, buddy? Uh, J8 <laughs> yeah. Jatropha. I, I believe PH8 oh. is so Jatropha. But it, it's really cool. It can grow any, anywhere uh, as far as <clears throat> hot weather places, uh, sandy, gravelly, saline, saline soil. So, it could, you know, you can grow in those, you know, those coastal areas where, you know, the barrier island type of uh, environments where hardly anything will grow. It'll even grow there where there's some salt in the soil. Oh, oh yeah. Like, they're working on it, I guess, then. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. That's what. The, that's what. Uh, you know, I don't know what the drop in the price of oil. I know at one point they were talking about seven plants in Florida. I'm sure you can grow it in South Texas, Arizona, uh, and places New Mexico, South Southern California. You know, any any sandy, crappy soil environment. You know that that has some heat. You know, <laughs> but it produces four times uh, more fuel per acre than soy, and ten times more than corn. And you can pump this oh. right into it, and you can pump this right into a truck. So this is, you know, uh, it can be used for for whatever. So uh, it's very promising. And it, back when the early sellers came to Central America, they actually used to take these. It, it produces a golf ball sized fruit, and the seed is what holds the oil. So there's usually like the three seeds in there, and they used to put the seeds on a, you know, on a dish or whatever, and light them and use them for candles. Wow, well that's pretty cool. Well, we got yeah. four minutes. Uh, well, Chet, thanks for coming on the show. I appreciate it. That's um, you enlightened me on that rice stalk, and I, I didn't know so much was going on out there. So that that's kind of that's kind of hopeful. Yeah, yeah, it is. Uh, and uh, just keep your eyes open. I'll send you a few more of these links. I got another one. There's a Jatropa uh, kind of a, a bulletin board order buying and selling Jatropa here on the internet. You can buy seeds. There's a place in Ireland that wants 50 met 5,000 metric tons uh, and, and looks Malaysia it's like all over the world just Jatropa is huge uh, but well, well yeah send me that link I'll take a look at it and yeah and, uh, I will and, and again, thanks, again go ahead thank you for having me on I just want to appreciate that well you're well, welcome I'm, I'm glad to have you it was a uh, real interesting well, well I'll have you on some other time. Now Now that it's obvious you're Barry's brother, we can get you any time we want to, huh? Yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for coming on the show. I appreciate it. All right. Talk to you soon, then. Bye-bye. All right. Okay, Barry. Well, that's pretty cool. I hadn't even heard of that, so that's something. Yeah, like he said, we could we could grow and not even affect the farmer. More people jump in and start, start growing it. Maybe Death Valley will turn into a... a whatever that is you said, maybe they'll start growing it out there. 
Yeah, that's what I'm hoping for. I got, got excited about that. I, I had heard, like I said, about last spring, well, about a year ago, you know, that they were planning on seven biofuels plants in Florida, and then I heard the word Tropa, and just last week I looked it up and found that they had opened a plant, but it, it's very promising. So there is hope, you know. I, I think that, you know, I, I think unfortunately a lot of the hope you don't hear about, all you hear about is the, the downside, you know. Yeah, I was surprised that all that was being such hush-hush because, I, man, I'm on the Internet a lot, and I hadn't seen it or anything. So who knows what we'll be uh, running these rigs on. So it would be kind of cool to see, but I wish they'd do something. And, again, they could start drilling here, too. That would help a lot. Yeah, I think you can look out your uh, you can look out the window from your house and almost see the Gulf Canyon. You've got an ocean of oil sitting out there, as far as regular oil is concerned. I know, I know. Well, we'll just see what happens. But all right, well, sounds good. You have a thought for the day? <laughs> you know, I didn't even <laughs> think one. I didn't even think Man. one. Man, keep keep your eyes on the road, your hands upon the wheel. How about that one? <laughs> yeah. Okay. You're gonna to have to get on on the ball, or I'm gonna to have to demote you back to co- just co-host. <laughs> oh man, don't do that. <laughs> All right. All right, Barry. Well, thanks for coming on. I appreciate it. And uh, again, special thanks to Chet. I really appreciate his expertise and coming on the show and sharing his knowledge with us. And uh, I'm definitely no scientific mind, so I, I need I needed you guys on here. So I appreciate it. So. Uh, enjoy your Sunday, and uh, thanks for uh, joining us this Sunday afternoon. And uh, until then, for Alan's, uh, for uh, Truth About Trucking Live, this is Alan Smith, and drive safe. And as always, thanks for listening.